This is Annie Grace, and you're listening to this Naked Mind podcast, where without judgment, pain, or rules, we explore the role of alcohol in our lives and culture. Hi, this is Annie Grace, and welcome to this Naked Mind podcast. So this, believe it or not, and I literally can't believe it, is the 100th episode, and that's nuts to me. And so what I thought would be fun to do is I've got Scott here with me, and Scott is my lead Naked Mind coach and also just really head of, of programs. So um, Scott joined recently this Naked Mind, and we have been kind of doing things together, and so I thought it would be just perfect for us to do this together. And so what we're going to do, here's the rules of the game. We are going to improv, impromptu, which is perfect because Scott was earlier at improv for his daughter, Um, but we're going to improv and just try to, if we can, challenge ourselves to come up with a hundred things that are either advice, learnings, insights, a hundred things that in our entire journeys have come up. So we're just going to, just going to go back and forth. Um, and I'm going to put you on the spot, Scott, and you're, you're going to start and I'm going to track. <laughs> sure. Fine. Um, so, uh, you know, I was, I was thinking about this at a time and I wanted to give, you know, we'll have, I'm sure we'll get to the like typical answers that everyone gives. Um, but one that popped out at me, you know, I'm a, I'm a news junk, junkie. I'm a politics junkie and I can follow that stuff. I listen to a lot of podcasts and the podcasts I listen to have people that talk really fast on them. And uh, I can follow those and keep up with those so much better and remember what was on them. Um, and it's not just about listening to them while I'd been drinking, but also, you know, on those days when I was recovering. So that's, that was my number one was podcast. Okay. So I'm going to tag on to that one because I am so surprised when I go back and watch reruns of things that I had watched that I don't, I was like, wait, wait, that character did what? Or that's happening? And this is like Netflix binges. And I'd always watch these binges on the airplane with lots and lots of wine. And so I know one of the benefits is like, I'm, I'm getting to watch these TV shows completely again for the second time and have no memory of watching them the first time. I had the same thing with Westworld. I watched the first episode and I was like, this is boring. And then, you know, fast forward, and my wife and I just binged the whole thing. It's fantastic. Like, yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Um, the second one I wanted to talk about, you took movies. That was my next on my list. Um, the second one I wanted to talk about was food. Like I enjoy food so much more. And I, I was absolutely one of those people that thought that, you know, pairing wines and uh, I wasn't like super fancy about it, but I thought it really enhanced it. Uh, it absolutely does not. Like that's one thing I like way better now uh, than I did before, which is, uh, I guess, a plus and a minus. So I'm going to tag along to that one too and say science fact for you. Number three is that alcohol numbs your taste buds. So you do enjoy food more. That's just the, the fact. That's a reality. That's a science. It, it actually, you enjoy it more. Actually, I'm going to do two. I'm going to, I'm going to, we don't have to go back and forth because it's another one. It also numbs um, your, like, your the rest of your senses so we can talk about each of those individually but very specifically it numbs your ability to to feel physical pleasure so you know food sex other pleasures numbed um the next one uh you know again for my sort of trying to be unusual list uh was personal development you know for a long time i was you know trying to improve you know and i'd read different books and i'd try out new things um and nothing ever really seemed to take um you know i'd make some progress but not a ton 
Then I found after I quit drinking, you know, I was able to track what I was doing. I was able to journal and compare myself to myself the day before, and it was accurate. Um, and I've just seen that skyrocket since I quit drinking. Yes, my entire desire for self-improvement has spawned completely from quitting drinking. I don't think I ever read a book that was not, you know, really either a business book or a novel before then. And I can't believe how much wisdom is in these books. People have done this stuff before. People have had the hard thoughts before. People have struggled with depression before. And so just that entire world has been opened up to me. Yeah. And along those lines for me is working out. Um, I didn't, uh, you know, Annie, I've told you I'm, I'm real into rucking. So it's basically putting 30 pounds on your back and going for really long hikes. Um, and not only did I get into that, like I tried to do it before rucking and lifting, both of them I tried while I was drinking. Um, and lifting with a hangover is one of the worst things possible. And especially I had to work out early in the morning. Um, so that my ability to do that and my ability to improve there just got so much better. It was crazy. And it got better to the point that I was actually able to participate in a go ruck event, um, which was something prior to me quitting drinking, there's no way, I think I would have dreamed of it, but I never would have been able to pull it off. That's amazing. So that's, this is um, number nine and I have to tag along to the exercise. I did not start doing Taekwondo until I stopped drinking and I was looking for something that would be exercise, but also fun. And it's amazing. I mean, not only have I like made a lot of friends, built a lot of community, got really strong, able to break boards. Yes, I can. And it's awesome. But that is something that I probably just never would have um, thought about doing before stopping drinking. Um, next for me, I was thinking about recovering from stress. Um, I am or was a much less so now, but a very anxious person, always a worrier. Um, and stressful stressful situations would really stress me out. Like I, I would, I, I would feel it and I would hold on to it for a long time. Um, but now I find, you know, being able to relax uh, without alcohol and actually relax, you know, not just numb what was going on, but actually take a deep breath and relax. I'm, I'm so much more resilient uh, after a stressful event. So I'm just going to say breathing because I don't even think I thought about breathing and breathing. If you think about eating, if you think about drinking, you're nourishing stuff. Breath is the ultimate nourishment. I mean, we can't even survive a minute, two minutes without breath and it is nourishing and giving oxygen to every one of our cells. And I never gave a single conscious thought to breathing. And now I think about breathing multiple times a day, you know, taking a deep breath here, stopping and enjoying the moment there. And just, you know, uh, just breathing is, is huge. My eyes have been open to this like gift really of just experiencing how to breathe. And along those lines of breathing and relaxation for me is sleep. Um, I know we cover this quite a bit in the book and in the, in the intensives, but holy cow, like not only is the quality of my sleep better, but I actually don't need as much as I thought I did. Like I'm able to operate on, on way less than I was trying to get before because I'm actually sleeping. It's not sleeping and starting the recovery process. So that was, that was a big one for me. Yeah, I talk about this all the time and I'm going to tag along to that one. And as a mom who's waking up with her kids in the middle of the night, I literally thought those first few years when they weren't sleeping or the first few months when they weren't sleeping was like, death. Like I could not function. I was miserable during the day. I had my first kid at 30. I um, had a second or my third kid recently and she mostly sleeps through the night, but the night she doesn't, it doesn't even bother me. Even the newborn phase didn't even bother me. I 
was incredible. People would be like, how are you looking so well rested when you have a newborn at home? I was like, the amount of sleep I need at 40 is a 10th, it feels like, of what I needed at 30. And it's just because now I know scientifically you actually get restful REM sleep and alcohol disrupts that ability. So it's not even that we need less sleep, it's that alcohol disrupted our ability to get the most restful sleep. Yeah. Um, and on the other side of that, for me, is getting out of bed, like actually getting up in the morning. Um, I am... I never thought I was really a morning person, um, but then you know life sort of got me into a situation where I had kids that were around, and if I wanted time to myself, like the best way to get it was in the morning, um, and so I had to start getting up early, uh, and that's actually when I started doing my rucking, and I'd you know I'd be out by a little bit after four in the morning, um, but actually being able to get up, get myself dressed, and get out the door is so much easier now. Like it's, and I actually really enjoy it. Like I've I've grown to really enjoy that quiet time and that solitude. And I'm going to piggyback on that one. We have um, a room now where it used to be, we moved recently and now our room kind of faces somewhat towards the sunrise. And uh, just the amount of sunrises I've seen in general since I've stopped drinking, sunrise is just this beautiful, peaceful, hopeful time of day. And I, I, the only time I saw a sunrise is if I was so drunk that I was still up from the night before. <laughs> I know that feeling. Um, uh, I was also thinking playing with kids, you know, like actually engaging with my kids. I mean, I always played with them, but, you know, playing with them and following along with, you know, super imaginative games uh, and just having the, having the stamina and sort of the mental, the mental, um, I don't know, with itness to be able to, to, to keep doing that. That's been a huge boost. And I've seen a, a big boost in the relationship with both my kids. I think that this, I'm going to piggyback on this one again. Um, I feel like I'm just cheating here because I just keep coming up with stuff based on yours. But I think that I had this belief that alcohol helped to make me a more present parent. And I thought, well, if I just, you know, I can just enjoy them more if I just have a glass of wine. And now I've really seen that actually that opposite thought was really what was controlling me was that I didn't enjoy my kids without a glass of wine. And now that I've taken that out, the, the amount that I enjoy being around my kids, I am no longer trying to find, you know, the best daycare or, or the best, you know, who's going to babysit so I can go out or how, come on, fall asleep quicker so that I can, you know, start drinking. You know, in fact, often I will have the luxury of just reading and falling asleep in bed with them. And I'm not trying to be impatient for my drinking to start. So my enjoyment of my kids have just like skyrocketed. I love that. Um, staying positive has been a big one for me. You know, I guess it's along the lines of personal development, but, you know, actually being able to maintain a positive outlook all the time, even in difficult situations, you know, um, you know, I, for a long time, I was beginning to think I was turning into a real pessimist. Um, but, you know, what I recognize now is it's just kind of the lingering effects of alcohol and that lingering sort of anxiety and depression that can really happen. Um, that was really causing some, some real shifts to my mood. So now I can, I can interact and, and go through a, um, any sort of event and, and continue to be really positive. Yeah, that's awesome. I think it, I have to say this in this one, we're on um, number 18 and this one might have to count as that's two or three because I was able to, after I stopped drinking, get off 
Wellbutrin, get off escitalopram, get off Xanax, and get off Ambien, which I was using all four of these things to sleep, function, and get through my days. And it wasn't immediate. It was definitely within a year or so of really kind of going through the hard stuff and the adjustments and letting my body heal and my brain heal um, and doing the work that it takes to make your brain and your mind a more positive place, to your point, that these uh, my need for these medications, you know, really stopped. And I will say with this conversation that if I wasn't on them to begin with, I probably wouldn't have been able to stop drinking either. So they certainly had their, their place and I'm very thankful for them. But, but um, I have to say getting off all four of those medications was massive for me and being able to, you know, be someone who was diagnosed with, you know, severe massive depressive order disorder, I don't know the exact thing, but it was the big one. And now be able to live medication free. I really count that to alcohol not being in my life. Yeah. And for me, piggybacking on that is just managing my emotions in general. Like I look at kind of the absolute value of my emotions uh, to be nerdy about it. You know, whether that's, whether it's happy or angry or upset Um, and you know, the range is still there, but it's, it's much more within my control now. Like I feel that I can handle it. Um, whereas before I would get overwhelmed and I would get overwhelmed in a good way and overwhelmed in a bad way. Um, and combine that with becoming a pessimist and it was not a good equation for me. I was overwhelmed in a bad way pretty often. I had never had the experience before I stopped drinking of observing my own emotions. I was very much on letting them run me and being so attached to whatever I was feeling that if I start to feel bad, there was nothing I could do besides just like think bad thoughts and, and be like, I couldn't even, I wasn't even aware enough to step back. And now if I start to feel bad, I can step back and I can say, huh, that's what feeling bad feels like. And guess what? As soon as you observe it, it takes its power away. You know, it's like shining a light and it's not so scary because it's not all shadowy and dark. Yeah. And speaking of scary, uh, meeting people, for me. And this was one I have to say, I absolutely thought I was going to lose. So I, I'm, I'm an outgoing guy. Um, and you know, I would go out and I'd be drinking and I would meet people and I'd be fun and it was great. And we're buying rounds and, you know, having a good time. And I really thought that what drove that in me, uh, was the alcohol. You know, I do get social anxiety. You know, when I walk into a room full of people, I don't know, I do get apprehensive. And the way that I used to deal with that, um, was booze. So I thought for sure, you know, after I quit drinking that this is going to go away, like my ability to engage and get to know people and have a good time was was going to was going to die. And the opposite happened. The absolute opposite happened. Now, you know, when I go and I meet people, I am more confident and I am more engaging and I listen more like I converse more than, you know, feeling that I just have to worry so much about, you know, being liked. So meeting people was a big one for me. Yeah, I would tag along to meeting people and also say that just um, really deepening friendships, you know, so instead of it being very surface where we're just meeting to drink, like now when I'm spending time with somebody, I'm very intentionally trying to be there for them. And so I think that the quality of my relationships that I've, I've kept have been um, definitely deepened and enhanced. Yeah. And I'll piggyback on that one too and say my relationship with my wife has improved um, beyond measure. You know, part of it is, you know, you're, you know, we've got two kids, they're three and eight. There's a lot of running around. There's a lot of bedtimes. We both have jobs, like it's busy, busy, busy. So the time we get together, you know, we didn't get a ton of time together. 
Um, so the little time that we do get is precious, you know, and you need to be able to engage in an effective and meaningful way. And I'm much better able, much, yeah, much better able to do that now. Yeah, that's huge. So a small one, but I remember my oldest son telling me about how he didn't like how my teeth and uh, lips were purple. So not having him have that experience anymore is a big one. I like that. Um, for me, I, I was also thinking about reading. Um, I love reading uh, and, I, and I always have. Um, but when I was in the middle of drinking a lot, you know, most of the time that I read is in, at night. Um, and after, I mean, even after like one beer, like stuff isn't, you know, it isn't getting into my head as easily. And I really, um, you know, I'd kind of like lose the plot and, and not to mention fall asleep so easily. Um, so, you know, being able to actually read and remember things and process things is a huge step forward for me. I've really enjoyed that. So I will say that writing because writing was something that I did very, very passionately. I always imagined that I would write a book someday. It was always like this huge passion, obsession. I mean, I was like literally obsessed with it. And so I had been told that in order to write a book, the best advice that somebody gave me was to write in, you know, every single day, no matter what it was, just write every single day. And for, you know, more than a decade of my drinking, um, I have these stacks of journals from before, and now I have stacks of journals from after. But it's like a blank thing there. Yeah. And I would say along the, along the lines of that for me in general is just enjoying new experiences. Um, you know, part of that might've been the social anxiety, you know, that I felt and didn't fully process. But I think um, part of it too, is just sort of that, that low level anxiety that I just seem to have like all the time. Um, you know, it was tough for me to enjoy new experiences and, and that meant it was tough for me to be open to them. You know, so some opportunities would come around and, and they would be things that I might turn down because I'm like, ah, I don't want to do that. Or that seems, I don't know, I don't know if I'm going to like that. Like, whereas now when I get an opportunity to try new stuff, I'm, I'm all in. Yeah, I find that really, really true. I think it's new experiences and just the, the novelty of doing something that you had associated so much with drinking and not drinking during it and realizing that like what's happening that's great is actually in not enhanced by something out or something external, I think has been um, not only just fun, but also really empowering. Um, you know, for me, something that's really improved experience wise uh, is driving. And it wasn't, I didn't used to drink and drive, but just the actual, I grew up in a family, we traveled a ton and we spent a bunch of time on the road. And I actually have really fond memories of being, you know, in the back of my parents' van and, you know, driving on upstate New York and, um, just the sense of traveling in general. Um, and, you know, when I was drinking, you know, again, it was like, I was always really anxious just to get where I was going. I wasn't enjoying the journey as much. Um, but now I find myself, you know, whether I drive, you know, a couple hours to see my parents or, you know, all the way out to Cleveland from here. Um, I, uh, I love it. I totally love it. And I love engaging in it with, you know, having my kids with me when I do it too. Yeah. And I'd say, um, along with that is like, for some reason with driving for me is just books on tape. And I think that um, I was so in my own world of whatever was going on that I was never like, oh, like it would never even dawn on me that this would be a fun thing to be in the car with kids and listen to a book on tape, you know? And I think there's so much to be said for the childlike joy of things that comes back. Whereas that's really fun. <laughs> like it's really, truly fun, but before, you know, if we were in the car, I'd be like trying to put in my own earphones, put in their earphones, like not do something together as a family. 
and again, it's not even really related. It's just more so that now my ideas about the things that might be fun or like my willingness to try things has just increased to such an extent. Yeah. And, um, I would say also having a dog, which this seems like a, a silly one, but, um, you know, we got this little dog named Zoe, uh, and she is a chihuahua something mix and she yips and yaps. And, you know, I was, I really wanted a dog at first, but I, I kind of felt like maybe I didn't want a small dog, but anyway, I didn't enjoy her as much, uh, while I was drinking, but now, you know, I'm, I'm really spending a lot of time with her, like training her. And I'm really enjoying that whole process way more than, than I was, uh, than I was while I was drinking. That's awesome. So I would say, and this is going to be a weird one, but crying because I feel like when I was drinking, either the tears were coming when I was really too drunk to even remember what I was crying about becoming a weepy drunk or whatever, which was pretty rare for me because that wasn't really who I was. Like I was more of a happy drunk, but I remember just not even crying for years and years and years. Like crying just wasn't something that was part of my life. And crying is like a really cleansing thing. And having to, every time I would feel emotion that would be like sadness or something that would invoke tears, I would run away from it. I would numb it. I was so scared of it that now to just say like, yeah, I cry. That's part of, you know, definitely part of every week, sometimes part of every day. And that's okay. Like it just is, is going with the, the ups and downs. And is it, is it pleasant? Yeah. Kind of in a way, like in a way, just allowing yourself to feel something enough. I was reading um, a letter from a woman yesterday and she was just writing to me about how um, she had lost her daughter and she couldn't get out of bed and she just had turned to alcohol. And it wasn't until she really, you know, um, decided that she was going to choose to live. And she started to Google how to stop drink, how to live without alcohol was exactly what she Googled. And she ended up finding this naked mind. And I'm reading this and I'm at my desk yesterday and I'm just like hysterical, like tears coming down my face. And it was intense. And it, it's an emotion that I would ran the exact opposite way from. Um, and so, yeah, I just appreciate that. Like, I'm going to feel uh, this is life and that's part of it. And I, and that willingness to feel it. I love that. And I actually want to piggyback on that. Um, for me laughing, uh, I've always really enjoyed comedy. I've really enjoyed joking around with people and being funny and being around funny people. Um, and that didn't change while I was drinking, you know, I still enjoyed that, but man, like, how laughing is more meaningful now, if that makes sense. Like I, I think I feel it more, more in my heart um, than I ever did. And just the humor in, in general that I enjoy is I think much better uh, than it was before. It's funny because I remember, so we didn't drink a lot in college. My husband and I, we met in college and we didn't drink a lot. And I remember so many times where when Brian gets the giggles, like it is, it is hilarious. Like there's nothing that makes me laugh harder. And sometimes something will just set him off. And I, I can't remember ever what it was. And, um, and then that just stopped for us. Like they're just you know, we'd laugh, but it would be like, not like that, like all consuming tears coming down my face, cannot breathe laughing. And that has started to really happen more and really random, sometimes very awkward, like that feeling of being in school and you're in a classroom and you're not supposed to be laughing, but you can't stop. And it's almost like this panicky feeling, but it's hilarious. Like that will happen to us probably once a month now. And it is that was completely absent from the drinking years. And I, I never even thought of it actually until you just said that. 
that's that's fun um you know actually kind of along those lines for dealing with the unknown um you know I, before my way of handling that was a combination of uh scotch and anxiety um whereas now i think um i'm working on embracing it i wouldn't say i'm, I'm perfect at that by any stretch of the imagination um, but I'm much more able to handle it. I'm much more able to handle, you know, unknown outcomes, unknown next steps, next steps, and just kind of throw myself into whatever it is I'm doing um, and allowing what's going to come next to come next. I think that um, the way that I would say that one for me would be not hiding. And there's so much power that comes in not hiding, hiding from stress, hiding from sadness, hiding from life, hiding from everything. I didn't even realize I was doing it, to be honest. I just didn't know that there was any other way. And to not be hiding, to say, okay, might not be pleasant, might really suck, might be shitty, but I'm not going to hide from whatever's coming next. Um, it makes me feel like a badass. <laughs> I like that. Um, and kind of along those lines for me as well is like not is, is pushing forward. Like I have a drive now um, that I didn't have back then. You know, I want to do things. Uh, I want to build and achieve, which I, I've always wanted to do, but it, it, I feel it more now. Like it's more personal and it's more urgent. Yeah, it is almost, and I'll just say this in my own words because I feel the exact same thing, but it is almost like um, instead of, I remember with my parents looking at their lives and looking at the story of their lives and being like, wow, you guys were just like thrown into this river of life and you just went wherever it took you. And they were hippies and they were in the sixties and they moved to these cabins and they did all this stuff. And then it ended up at this place. And, and then I remember for me very methodically saying, okay, I'm going to go to this college. I'm going to get this job. And then I had all these things and I was like, where's, where's the river? Where's the, where's the current? Where is it pushing? Like, where am I going to be in the flow? Where is it going to push me along and take me to unknown places and become the great adventure? Cause it didn't feel like that. It honestly just felt like very like planned. And, um, and now like that current is, I mean, sometimes it's going so fast that I'm like, Whoa, you know, you just have to get on the, sh on the shore for a second and take a breath and say, okay, where's this going now? But, um, that, that is like living right in the dead center of that flow. And I hear that just not from, from me, but like so many people who, because I think that is, you know, somehow life is meant to be lived, you know, a little bit. And by the way, this is number 50. So we are on a roll. We are doing good. I think if I'm counting right. <laughs> um, I was going to say kind of along those lines, but a little bit different is bravery. You know, um, you alluded earlier in the podcast, I just made a big job change. I was an engineer. Um, you know, and, and now I'm doing this. And the, one of the ways that I got here was through admitting to myself something that I knew for a long time, which was that, you know, it, it was very tough for me to fit in the engineering world. Like I just, I didn't like it. Um, I wanted to like it so bad. And so I kind of ignored that for a long time. And I kind of just, you know, pushed along because that's what you do, right? You have a job, you have a family, and this is how it goes. Um, but there was this thing kind of gnawing at me the whole time. And finally being brave enough to admit to myself and the people around me, like, hey, maybe this isn't the right fit. That was, that was a huge step forward for me. So um, one of the things for me that has been just monumental is, and it's cliche, but just appreciation of my physical body. The realization, I had this idea of self-love that was really bizarre. Like for some reason, as a woman, for me, self-love meant you think you're sexy. Like 
if I love myself, I think I'm sexy. And like, that just wasn't like in my thing. And then somebody explained it to me and I don't remember who this person was, but they're like, no, actually it's realizing that your body is the thing keeping you alive and sustaining you. And it's the only way you're having this experience. And so self-love is simply caring for your body. Like you care for your kids. Like you're going to get it the right nutrition. You're going to get it the right hydration. You're going to get it the right amount of sleep. And like that concept to me in my drinking days, not only was it foreign, but if it ever entered into my mind, um, it was immediately met by this cognitive dissonance, this serious discomfort with the fact that I, I knew alcohol was not congruent with that take care of your body. Yeah. And I, I would say for me that really, that, that, that sort of developed into, into a self-esteem, you know, a sense of self-esteem, which was something that, you know, I, I didn't really have much of, you know, I used to, I used to downplay my contributions. I used to think, man, I'm just not good enough. I'm not good at this. I'm not good at that. And I just, I wouldn't, I wouldn't actually look at what I did and say, Oh, like, Oh, I built something here. Like I did something here. Like after I quit drinking, I was able to kind of admit that a little bit more, you know, and I think that was the depressive part of alcohol. It was that, you know, that sort of constant, um, that constant hangover, that constant depression that really kept me in that state for a long time. I think that, um, just this idea that like not only is my body something to be be taken care of but it's actually even something to be awed by and that would have again never even crossed my mind but the fact of wow i am i am breathing i am um the things that are happening in my body every single moment and i think i heard it yesterday or something it was like i don't know i'm gonna miscount the number but the, the the chances of each of us actually being born with like the whole, how many sperm there are and how many eggs there are and the whole thing, like the chances are so infinitesimal that like we all are incredible miracles. And that just sounded so like hippie woo woo cliche to me until you really become present to like, it's, it's true. And you're like, Whoa, that's mind blowing. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I've, that I've returned to, um, you know, I'm not a religious guy at all, but I, I was real into uh, philosophy for a long time. Um, and I, I sort of discovered stoicism, which for me has been, you know, it has been an, an absolute, you know, set of guiding principles that have improved my life so much. Um, and I don't think, you know, like I knew I was struggling uh, for a long time, but I don't think that I would have been able to um, accept it and, and um, really understand it as well, had it not been, you know, for, for being alcohol free. So another one for me is just learning how to really navigate some of the uncomfortable situations that arise when you're not drinking. And that was something that was like so overwhelming and scary at first. And I didn't know like what to say or how to say it. And so now, I mean, maybe we could even just throw out some of our, our favorite favorite things. I mean, now it's really gotten to a point, like I, I gave so much thought to this and I did it so many different ways. Um, but like my all time favorite go-to thing now, and I, I feel really good and empowered and like just a badass saying it is I don't drink no explanation. Like there's, so I just, I just don't drink. Um, yeah. but it was really an iteration to get there. So maybe we could, you know, throw out some of the ways that like that really, uh, that we did in the early days. Well, something, uh, and this is something I tell my clients, I got a call one day from a guy I've been, you know, I was trying to, trying to get a meeting with him for a long time. And, uh, he finally called me back and he was like, Hey dude, let's, let's meet up for a beer. 
Um, and I was like two days in at this point and I stammered like, oh, um, well, I don't meet, uh, sh- uh, me, uh, how about breakfast? <laughs> so that was my worst one by far. <laughs> That's awesome. I heard one recently. Um, I'm retired from drinking. I like that. Or I've, I've had, uh, more than my, uh, more than my fair share. That's a good one. It takes the pressure off. I think I often just said like, I'm just happier when I'm not drinking. Oh, that's what, you know, when, and side note, you know, when, when people ask me, um, being able to say I'm happier and I add and more connected, um, cause there's so much of what I experience now is I just, it's hard to even really remember what it was like to not be as present and with it as I feel now. Um, and, and that, that's a big thing for me. So I tell people I'm happier and more connected. That's a great one. And then if somebody offers me a drink, I'll say something like, yeah, I'd love one. At, um, do you have any iced tea? I need the caffeine. Or do you have, uh, yeah, do you have some water? I'm super dehydrated. And I think that serves a double purpose of saying yes. Like we always feel so uncomfortable saying no. So if you say yes, but also just give a reason, like you really cut the conversation short. It's like, there you go. Yeah. I mean, so my favorite thing in that situation when, when you know, I know I'm going to be somewhere where there's drinking, which I, I, I still do it actually to this day is I just make sure I have something in my hand before I get in the room. Like that is the biggest, uh, the biggest win that I've had around that. Yeah, that's huge. I think that having something in your hand and then I think the biggest thing that I've learned is that I overthought this. I really did. And when I made it a bigger deal, it was a bigger deal. When I acted like I had something to be ashamed of or to hide or to um, explain, I did have something to be ashamed of or to hide or to explain. But when I got really comfortable with it, like it has ceased to be a big deal, even with strangers. Like it just like, it's just not a big deal. It's just who I am. And I, uh, to to piggyback on that, I, uh, I overthought other people's reactions to it. Um, I do a lot of work uh, when, I, when I work with people who are talking about, all right, I'm going to go alcohol free. I'm going to tell people there's so much fear and just angst wrapped up in that. Um, and, I, and I try to tell them like it, I mean, yes, it can technically be bad. Like I've seen that happen, but it almost never does. And most of the time you get yourself all psyched up and you're like, all right, here's how I'm going to tell my cousin I'm not drinking anymore. And you like think about it and you like have all these lists and then you go and you're like, Hey, Hey dude, I'm not drinking anymore. And they go, all right. And that's yep. it. <laughs> like That's all that happens. That happens more than, than, uh, than you might think. But yeah, that, that was a big lesson to learn is that other people don't care as much as we, we tend to think they do. Yeah. And when they do, it's often because of their own insecurities because we're holding up kind of a mirror to what's going on with them. And you know, that really, you know, to the extent we can just like compassion and, this is for me, totally not for you, like whatever. And, and just understanding because usually when somebody really makes a big deal out of it, it's because they feel really uncomfortable with, with where they, they are at. Yeah. And to, to that point, you know, I found, um, I don't like using the phrase, like I found out who my friends are cause it wasn't like that, but there were some relationships, um, that I had that changed fundamentally or to the point where I kind of think both of us are like, yeah, I don't know what else we had in common, you know? And that was, that was in some ways that was tough. Um, but in a lot of ways it was good, you know, it was good because I think we both got to kind of recognize that that was what was going on. Um, but also it made room in my life for other people. Um, and that was, uh, that, 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 that was absolutely a, a good thing. And I think it is true. You get so like, it, it really 
can get you stuck. So you're in the same loops, the same habits. And it is such a homogenous experience being drunk. You know, it, it feels the same basically every day, no matter what you're doing, you get a few, you know, bottles, like glasses, bottles of beer in whatever. And all of a sudden you are experiencing the exact same thing. And that can, um, I guess this is two because number one, drinking is completely homogenous, but then also that leads to sticking with friendships that like, you know, there isn't any real connection. And even worse, I had some friendships that were really toxic to some degree, you know, and those just very, um, some gradually and some not so gradually, some quite forcefully fell by the wayside, but being, having a realization that I do not have to spend time with people just because they ask me to. Um, I can actually choose to spend time with people that feel good to me. That was big, huge, one that I would never had when I was drinking. Well, I think, you know, that's part of a bigger thing, which is just that you own your time, right? That you actually have it. You know, when I look back at the amount of time that I spent, you know, not only drinking, but like thinking about drinking and then thinking about how I was going to get what I was going to drink and then what I was going to tell people about what I was drinking and, you know, just all the amount of time that that just sucked up. It's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. And now I feel like that time is mine again. Yeah. And I think the time and the thoughts, you know, like you touched on this a bit, but I think it's worth even making its own separate one is like the thoughts, the thinking constantly about drinking. And then the thoughts get worse once you decide that you want to do something about your drinking. It gets louder and noisier until you actually come to, you know, come to more of a firm decision. It gets like just really crazy noisy in there. And um, I just now can really see that okay, a fermented liquid in a glass, like it isn't worth consuming my life. Um, yeah. And uh, actually you just, you said fermented uh, and that made me think of kombucha, which I never, I don't think I would have discovered had it not been for, um, had it not been for going alcohol free. Um, you know, I, I absolutely love it. And here in Portland, we actually have, we have two different kombucha places and there's like, you know, the Portland kombucha wars going on. And my, uh, my mother-in-law is real into kombucha. She makes it at home. So she actually brought the scobies up for me. So now I now make it at home. Um, and so that was a, that was a big plus that I, I don't think I ever would have gotten into, uh, had it not been for, for going alcohol free. I feel like there's a whole world of of drinks that you just really would never drink. I mean, my rule for myself when I was drinking is I could drink iced tea because I have no calories, um, red wine because it was the healthiest alcohol, and then, by the way, any other alcoholic beverage. But I really, I, I literally thought that I wasn't going to consume any drink with calories unless it had alcohol in it because what was the point? Like that's that was where my head was at. And so um, the fact that there are just this amazing array of of drinks that are just incredibly good that don't have alcohol in them. It's, it's just like this fun new discovery. So, you know, and along those lines uh, is I, uh, when I was in college, I took a bartending class um, and I really enjoyed mixing drinks. Like it was a fun thing to do. Um, and I have realized now that I don't have to stop doing that because the whole mocktail scene that's going on here uh, is, is unbelievable. And so still being able to come up with, with cool ideas and, and reading about it and trying it, like I absolutely love doing that. And it's not, I always thought it was just like sweet sugary drinks that you make and it's absolutely not. There's so much more to it. So we are, I just want to do a count. We are on 
10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 567. So we're doing a good job. Um, I think that one of the things that was huge for me is this idea of switch versus seed. And this isn't my own idea, but it's just, just this idea of I could do one of two things with my life is I could use something that's a switch, a glass of wine that's going to give me this instantaneous, like numb, um, euphoria, just feeling for a few minutes, or I could do something that's a seed, a run that's going to like actually further and it's going to grow and I'm going to nurture it and getting exercise over time, going to Taekwondo. Um, and then so many areas of my life where I just look at it as like, do I want this instantaneous thing or do I want to invest, right? Do I want to do something where I'm actually investing in my well-being for tomorrow? Yeah. And you know, I, um, I lost a bunch of weight, uh, but I did it while I was drinking. Uh, and I did it with a, um, like a super strict, um, like ultra vegan diet. Um, and I didn't enjoy the food, right? I didn't enjoy the food. And even though I was losing the weight and that kept me going now, um, you know, outside of, and I know I said enjoying food earlier, but outside of that, there's actually an element of eating healthfully now that really, I don't know. It puts my mind at ease. You know, it, that you said that seed thing, it reminded me of that. It's like, I feel like not only is this a meal that I'm enjoying, but I'm kind of investing, you know, I'm investing in the future. I'm not really giving anything up. That's, I guess that's what investing implies, but like, I really, I really, I really like that. I really like that sort of healthy activity. I would say, um, for me also just appreciating awareness. It used to be when something would come up and I became aware of something, it was completely and totally scary. And often when you become aware of something that needs change or something in your life that's going wrong, it feels crippling and terrifying. And now I have this perspective because one of the scariest moments of, you know, realizing, okay, this alcohol is causing a problem in my life um, has turned into one of the most beautiful things. And so just in every other place where something comes up and, you know, whether it's discovering that we have like tons of mice in our new house, which is true by the way, but I'm like, okay, that sucks but you cannot solve a problem you're not aware of. You can't fix something you don't know is an issue. And so just saying, okay, this sucks, but I can't change until I'm aware of whatever it is. And so just appreciating that moment, no matter how painful it is, but realizing that all good change is like on the other side of that. Another thing uh, is learning. It is actually, you know, I, so I've always enjoyed science. I'm kind of a, you know, I, to a large extent, well, not to a large, I am straight up a nerd. Like I, I, I have enjoyed science and math uh, my entire life. Um, and it, it was something I enjoyed. It was something that I liked, but you know, it was funny that like I continued to learn and I learned more and I almost learned on a deeper level. And it sounds weird, but it, it almost means a lot more to me now than it did before. Like, it was, it was like, you know, I could continue to learn more about, you know, I'm a big, I'm a big physics nut, um, but I could continue to learn more about physics and astrophysics and kind of just the, the, the feeling of taking that information in and kind of understanding it better um, just made it more meaningful to me. I think um, we're on 75, by the way, so we're doing really good. But I think that that I'll, I'll piggyback on that and just say that learning had been a separate Thing. You were learning for a purpose that was like getting a test or, or doing this thing or getting better at this job. And, and now for the first time, learning is a very internal thing where what I'm learning actually applies to how happy I am every day, how present I am every day, how good my relationships are every day. And so it's taken on this um, passion that is, you know, just you, you can't replace. And again, never, never would have happened drinking.
Absolutely. Um, another thing, you know, I've, so one of the things that I've struggled with is kind of, um, I don't even think of the right way to say this, but standing up for myself, um, you know, being, uh, being tough, you know, and drawing the line when I needed to, um, I was always kind of shrinking back from that while I was drinking and I can, well, I won't, but I can list a whole bunch of situations, uh, where, where that's affected me negatively in my life. Um, and I'm able to do that now. Like I'm able to say, no, that's enough. Like when I'm in a situation, uh, where I feel is going in a direction that, that is bad for me, I can say no. Um, and that was something I really struggled with before. I'm going to say too, and these are just tools that I would have never, ever, ever opened my mind to drinking because drinking was kind of like my go-to thing. And so if you don't, if you're just dealing with something by numbing it, you never actually have to take the bandaid off and heal the wound, right? And so the first one is the work by Byron Katie, that it's a four question process to really just get your thinking straight and, and question your thoughts. And the second one is really um, meditation. And admittedly, I don't sit on a pillow for 10 or 15 minutes a day. Um, what I do is I do three minutes literally three minutes and I set my timer on my cell phone and I try to keep up my streaks as long as humanly possible. And I just close my eyes and, and breathe or even, I don't always close my eyes. If I go outside, I like look at the things and I just try to be aware of my breath for three minutes. Um, I also don't try to turn off everything else I'm thinking. I just try to be present, like really present for three minutes a day. And so that, that tool for me has been, those two tools have been like life-changing. So I have to say, I absolutely share that experience. I know, I think you're a big fan of Dan Harris as well, yeah. right? 10% happier. Um, you know, I've been meditating, um, man, for maybe almost 20 years off and on. Um, and it's, it's been more valuable at me for, time, for me at other times than at other times. And it just, I don't know, I tended to go through, uh, you know, like fits and starts with it. Um, but it is so much more meaningful. And I do, I, I sit for 10 minutes every morning. Um, wow. I use Headspace, the Headspace app, and I also use the 10% Happier app, um, but I, I love it. And I feel, um, I feel much more benefit from it now, which I know you're not supposed to technically look for benefit from it. It kind of defeats the purpose, purpose. Um, but I feel much more grounded and I feel much more present after doing it now than I did while I was drinking. That's huge. Um, another one for me is that I always had this idea that self-control was something to be run away from, right? Like self-control is like, oh gosh, that's boring. That's stupid. Like, I don't want to be controlled. I want to be the party person. I want to be doing all the stuff. I want to be living the life. Right. And I have come to really realize that actually self-control, something like meditating every day, something like deciding to put good stuff in my body, like that is truly freedom because it gives you the foundation to experience all of these things in such a more freeing way. And it's very hard to get that if you're not, you know, realizing it, but actually doing some really good things like self-control does equal being more free because the opposite of that is actually being quite a slave to my impulses, my emotions, my thinking, um, my drinking, etc. One of my favorite uh, podcast hosts, uh, Jocko Willink says discipline equals freedom. Um, and I love that. And it is, it's absolutely true. Um, you know, and along those lines, actually being able to set and achieve goals over a period of time for me was, uh, was, was a big change. Um, you know, I would say I want to do something and I would say like, we should get together or we should, I don't know, let's get a cup of coffee sometime. Right. Like everyone says that, um, but now I'm actually doing it, you know, and small things like getting a cup of coffee and big things like, 
um, you know, saving up for a big vacation or planning to do something like I'm much more aware of that and able to achieve those things now. Yeah, for sure. So I would also say that um, cravings, I've learned to, that they're a signal. And you know, now my cravings are much more in the sugar arena than the alcohol arena. But realizing that a craving is not actually an indication that that is what my body needs. It's actually a signal that my body needs something, but probably not what it's craving. And that's been big. And I think I I'll, know. oh, go ahead. No, I was going to add another one because I just had another one that came to me because I was like just thinking this, this 40 ounces of water that I carry around everywhere with me is generally what my body needs. I mean, almost all the time with the cravings, it is the water. And so um, very similar to my observation about breathing and it being such a nourishment and such like a beautiful nourishment, like taking a really deep breath feels incredible. Um, but I never even would have been conscious of that, like really being hydrated feels incredible. And again, never would have been conscious of that except for, by the way, over that like you're just desperate for water in the, you know, next morning and just chugging it down. Um, one thing for me, and this is, uh, I'm, it's a bit of a bummer to bring up, but like, uh, it's true is that not having blackouts, um, that was when I can't believe I didn't list this earlier, but you know, waking up in the morning and thinking like, what did I say last night? And I've had more than one, one time when I've woken up in kind of a weird mood and I'm like being careful around my wife. Cause I can't remember if I was a jerk. Um, you know, that did not happen very often at all. Probably only happened once or twice, but like, um, I hated that. I hated not remembering that was, that was miserable. I'm going to tag onto that and say that there was countless nights where I woke up and, you know, gossip was something that I fell into big time at, at my job. And it was like, it almost was like, oh, it was just so toxic and so disgusting. And a few glasses in, then we're talking about so-and-so or so-and-so. And, and then I wake up and I'm like, wow, is that going to get back to the person? What did I say anyway? How mean was it? And it was just so incongruent with who I wanted to be. And it felt so awful. And I just so many wasted hours of laying around thinking about what did I say and how's it going to come back to me? Yeah. And I think I would tag onto that with regret. You know, I think, uh, and this is maybe like a two-stepper, but I, um, you know, acting on what I want now, uh, and, and like I mentioned earlier, is, is leading to way less regret. Like I had so much regret and it would be regret even, even about small things, but like where we went to dinner the night before, you know, because I didn't want to, I didn't want to speak up uh, or, or big life decisions, you know, and I've made, I've made a lot of them, you know, and one of the things that I've done since I quit drinking was looked at some of those and what I could do about them um, because I had that regret, but now I don't have that, you know, now I don't have that because I, I actually, you know, I'm much more engaged in, in my life. I feel like, you know, in addition to the regret, there are so many things like I don't remember some of my kids' birthdays, you know, having um, one thing that I love is that now, no matter what is in my glass at any time, if my kid says, can I have a sip? I can say yes. And that is just awesome. That's just like such a cool and powerful place to be. Um, yeah, I love that one. So we are on, let's see, 85, 87, 13 more. We are almost there. <laughs> this is awesome. Um, I'll actually say another one just while it's sure. top of mind is that I didn't, I didn't realize um, 
that I, I have really low blood sugar. So I have hypoglycemia and I did not get diagnosed with this until after I stopped drinking because not only does alcohol mess with your blood sugar so much, but I, what I accepted for like feeling badly most of the day became so normal to me. And just what I accepted that I didn't actually, um, I just didn't actually try to explore why, why did I feel such intense mood swings? Why was I on top of the world one minute and totally upset another minute? And then realizing that, and again, all change happens on the other side of awareness, realizing you have a blood sugar problem and realizing you need to be eating you know, multiple meals of protein um, just has improved my life in a huge way. But again, it's not something that I would have had the, the really presence to become aware of when I was drinking. You know, around that for me is, you know, the idea of those mood swings is um, being able to see things for what they are and accept them. I mean, obviously we can change things when we want to, but I spent so much time wishing things were different, you know, and, and that a lot of that had to do with the mood swings. And, and like you mentioned, like some days being super excited and other days being really low. And, um, you know, I didn't feel like I was dealing with reality. And so now I can kind of look at things. Um, and that's really the only way that any of us can improve and grow is by, you know, and sort of assessing things as to where they are, accepting that and figuring out how to change it. I think I spent a lot of time like wishing and hoping that it was different um, because I, I wouldn't just accept it for what it was. I think for me, um, one of the most empowering things throughout this thing is just realizing that we are not stuck, you know, and, and actually there's like a scientific term for this. It's neuroplasticity and our brains and our pathways and our habits can change. And like when you realize that in one thing, like alcohol, you start to realize that in all sorts of other ways. And just that empowering feeling of like, oh my gosh, I do hold the keys. Like this, this gray mass between my, my ears is so much more than I've ever realized before. And it's just a really, really incredible thing. And, you know, along those lines is hope is actually mm -hmm. like looking at my future and being excited, like excited for what I'm doing now and what that turns into and excited for the opportunities that are coming down the road um, and excited to know that I'm going to be there and present for it, you know, and not, not half checked out. I think so piggybacking along with hope. I think that one of the things that I used to do is imagine that I somehow, um, I, I just accepted, I would, I would, plow through things like a, a bull in a china shop, right? So if I was feeling bad, I just put my head down and feel bad and, and get stuff done anyway. And then recently, within the last few years, I've realized that actually, if you're feeling really bad, job one is to take care of you to get you to feeling better and to give yourself permission to take care of you to get to feeling better. Because whatever you're doing, if you bring you know, a positive, hopeful outlook to it, if you bring some energy to it, it's going to get done in a fraction of the time and it's going to be done way better. And the people that you touch and talk to and interact with while you're doing it are going to be infinitely happier and the entire outcome will be better. And so now just that permission of saying, I do not have to just plow through this life, trying to get everything done and then falling into bed exhausted and drunk at the end of the day. If something is really not going okay, I can say, okay, time out for me. I'm going outside for a walk. I'm going back to bed with a book. And that's okay because I know that I'll be so much more productive when I come back refreshed. And so just, I guess it's, it's recharging the batteries, but just giving myself that permission would never, ever have occurred to me when I was drinking. Yeah. I mean, you know, the way I would see that and kind of a slightly different version of that is taking responsibility. 
you know, I do a lot of work uh, with, I do a lot of work with guys that are in situations where, um, you know, maybe their marriage isn't that great, or, you know, they're younger and relationships aren't going well, or their job's not going well, you know, and it's always this whole, um, you know, well, she did this, and my boss did that, and, you know, all of this kind of, kind of, complaining going on. And I think a perspective shift that I've had since I quit drinking is it's like, well, wait a minute, like absolutely work on what you bring to the table first, like take complete responsibility for that. You know, if your marriage isn't doing well, well, look at how you've played into it. Like, don't just put it on the other person. So there's an ability to take responsibility for my faults and and for my mistakes um, that I didn't have before. Yes, for sure. So this is it. This is the last five, Scott. We're down to the last five. Um, I think that one of the things I've challenged myself to do multiple times, and I'm not, I'm not great at it, but is just to take a week and say, I'm not going to complain. You know, and let's be honest, let's take a day and say, I'm going to try not to complain. And every time I do, I'm just going to notice it. I'm going to say, okay, that was a complaint. I'm going to try better. But just to be super aware. And it's, again, it's something that I would have never even considered when I was just going through life like a bull in a china shop, just trying to get, get it done. And then, you know, just falling into my glass of wine at the end of the day or at the afternoon of the day. Um, and then now just saying, okay, like I'm just going to challenge myself to not complain, you know, to when I have a complaint, just find something else to be grateful for. And that's been just a massive game changer for me. I have my weekends back. You know, that's something that for me, I lost big chunks of. I wasn't really a day drinker during the week. Uh, well, unless I had an opportunity, I guess, but I was at the office most of the time. Um, but man, on those weekends, like I would start, I would definitely find a way to have a beer with lunch and then I would just keep drinking all day. Um, and so these weekends would go by and I wouldn't get as much done as I wanted to get done. And I'd be bummed out. Sunday night would come around and I'd be bummed out like, oh, I didn't do this. I didn't do that. I didn't do this. And that's because I was just, you know, sitting around being buzzed all day and not achieving things, not, not getting, not crossing things off my list. Um, so having my weekends back is a huge one for me. I have allowed myself to do what I call micro commitments. So it used to be like, I was just this like huge all or nothing thing. And I'm like, okay, you know, I'm going to start to run and run a marathon. And, you know, if I failed or if I didn't go where I wanted to go, it was like really, really disturbing. And I think it's similar to, okay, meditating for three minutes a day is not actually hard. And yeah, maybe I'll be like move up to Scott level and I'll be at 10 minutes a day. I'll be really stoked for myself. But like for now, like I started that three minutes a day with 30 seconds, like that's where I started it. And so for me, just seriously micro commitments, like what, whatever it is, and just this idea of all I need to do is to do one tiny little thing, you know what I mean? And, um, and then let that snowball. And so I think the whole idea of micro commitments for me is to, instead of setting this big far goal that I'm gonna have to work really hard, I set these short-term goals and I teach myself to win. And, and like that feels really good. And then I build on winning instead of building on like this pressure and stress of trying to reach this far off thing. I love that. Um, this is my last one because you're going you're gonna to end it. So this is 99. Um, and I say this one for the end, but I have a deep commitment to myself now um, that I never had before. Um, and it cuts across everything. And, you know, of, of course, I, I love my family and I, I, I care about what I do for work and I want to be I want to be around to help out my community. But there is a sense of true commitment to myself 
to, to be my best and do my best, which is something I never had before. I, you know, I don't have to ignore how much alcohol I'm drinking anymore and ignore like how it's bad, bad for me. Um, like I truly want what's best for me now. Uh, and that's, that's a great place to be. So um, my last one is, is very much in line with that. It's like not only the, the reverence or not only the commitment and not only the realization and the responsibility that, hey, this is all on me, um, but also just this point of, and I guess it goes a bit spiritual for me, this point of spiritual reverence that like me, like I didn't create. I didn't sit there and say I was going to make Annie Grace and she's going to come out and she's going to have brown hair and blue eyes and she's going to be five foot eight and 140 pounds. Like, no, like I was made. And so my job is to take care of this. And like that sort of reverence and awe, looking at myself again, like I would look at my children, you know, but even more so because I'm the only one who I'm with 24 seven, you know, I'm the only one who's always going to be there for me. And so having that kind of like, oh, who am I to beat myself up? No, no, no. Like, I don't have that right. Who am I to talk nasty to myself in my own head? You know, who am I to destroy myself because I don't think I'm deserving? You know, and along with that, I'd say one of the big places that that came from is not only realizing that I didn't create me. And so like my job is actually like I've been entrusted to me. Um, my body, my brain has been entrusted to my consciousness. And like, that's really big. But then also just realizing that all those things that run through our head, they're the same with you. They're the same with me. They're the same with every single one of like the 10,000 people that will listen to this episode. Um, we are approaching like 700,000 downloads ever. And like we all, all of us, have the same. I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not thin enough. I'm not, um, you know, enough, enough, enough. And like, just taking a step back and saying all that, if we're all thinking that and we're all looking around at each other saying, but she is, but he is, but they are like, we all are, you know, like we all are. And I think just having that it all really, my mom always had this, um, this, this thing of, you know, she wants world peace, like peace is her most important thing. And she's always taught me that if we want to bring peace to the world, we start with peace within ourselves. And until we have peace within ourselves, until we're treating ourselves right internally inside, then we have no business talking about how anybody else is treating anybody else, because really that's the place we have to start. And I think that for me um, is something that I would have never come to with a bottle in my hand. Well, we kicked ass. We did it. hundred things. <laughs> High five virtual. <laughs> anyway, yay. A hundred episode, a hundred things. I think we'll hit a million downloads uh, probably early 2019. So anyway, listeners, thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for um, indulging our hundred things. Let us know what yours are. I mean, it would be really fun to kind of turn this into, into an ongoing post and comment. So uh, you can always reach out and um, yeah. So anyway. Thank you so much. This has been Annie Grace with This Naked Mind Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. You can learn more at thisnakedmind.com. And please remember to rate, review, and subscribe as it really helps us spread the word.